This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Timeless Podcast Company present this podcast. In immersive sound design. One, two, two. Hey, 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 hey. Check. One, two, two. The gentleman we honor today, MF Doom, represents the best of what hip-hop has to offer. All right, are we ready? We're gonna count it down from 10. Y'all ready? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. I honestly never thought I would see this day. July 31st, 2021, where the corner of Riverside and Hudson in Long Beach, Long Island, would be renamed MF Doom KMD Way. Before the world got to know the mask, the villain, before the world got to know Zev Love X, on these blocks, I got to know Daniel Dumoulet. And for those of you who do not know the importance of Zev Love X and MF Doom, the artists who performed not only with KMD in third base, but with the likes of Tom York of Radiohead, Ghostface Killer of the Wu-Tang Clan, the Gorillas, and many, many more. Doom was born Daniel Dumoulet, July of 1971, in London, England. Shortly thereafter, his mother and father relocated to Long Island and bounced around between Freeport and Merrick, Long Island before settling in Long Beach. Doom's younger brother, Dimbaza Dumoulet, remembers it like this. Um, we moved back to Long Beach in 83. We insisted on moving back to Long Beach. We had a choice, and it was a decision that we had to make. Do we want to go back to Long Beach, or we could have ended up staying in Mount Vernon, where we were living. Down the block from Debbie Allen, and you can look in her window and see her practicing and stuff. It was crazy. We were in Mount Vernon in 83, not rapping, but we were barely able to get the radio stations we wanted because we knew they were in New York and we had to, you know, fidget with the antenna to get the ones we wanted. But we stayed up with hip-hop and had a radio show to listen to. We moved back to Long Beach and it was because of our friends. We knew we had certain friends that we already clicked with. We were young B-boys. Growing up in Long Beach, we didn't have a lot. 
My mother was a single mom. So activities was how to find, just source some kind of hip hop. Back then it was mostly DJing opportunities. Daniel, or Doom as they called him, quickly showed a love for music and art. His sister Tangie remembers it lovingly. I remember when I was, you know, even three and four years old, them with record players that were toys scratching on plastic albums. Okay, uh, Mr. Hood, a uh, very good friend of MF Doom. Uh, we, we met back in the seventh grade. Uh, he was a graffiti artist at the time. <clears throat> Before he was MF Doom, his graffiti name was Art which was also another member of the group. His name was Dre. Uh, Andre was a good buddy of ours, and they kind of like shared the name a little bit. But Doom was the better graffiti artist, so he kind of took it over. Doom wasn't really that kind of a bomber. Doom would grab me when he wanted to go out bombing. Here's Doom's aunt. And we witnessed their youthful passion for music and their creative style that developed right here at East Hudson Street. But Doom's aunt had no idea back then of what their impact would truly be on music, fashion, art, and culture. So when I uh, had first put out my two independent singles, about 1985, 1986, I started to hang out more and more in Long Beach, Long Island for a bunch of reasons. You know, one of the reasons was I wanted a change of atmosphere. I had grown up my whole life on Rockaway Beach. I had known everybody, everybody knew me. So I wanted a little bit of a, a change of pace. The public beach in Long Beach it was a bit of a hike because the first part of Long Beach was private beaches by you know Atlantic Beach and all that. So we had to kind of trek out a little bit from Far Rockaway to Long Beach. And um, it's just a beautiful area. You know, it was just like really wide open. It was much different than Far Rockaway in the fact that it was wide open, a lot of stores, a lot of shops, a lot of people that were really active on the beach. Around 86, 85, 86, I would be there on a regular basis, several days a week. Going to the boardwalk in Long Beach on the summer was, it was an escape. I, I try to explain it to people, man, what it's like growing up in that kind of town where everybody in town has access to the beach equally. There wasn't like a prejudice where, you know, you go onto the sand and then other people are feeling offended because you're there or whatever. It never felt like that. I remember the boardwalk first as being the place where you get to go to the arcade and the bowling alley. <laughs> Before I touched the sand, there was the arcade and the bowling alley. And um, it's incredible for creative people, you know. That's how I think of it. It's, it's, it's an oasis. You either go to the bay side or the beach side, and it's, it's an oasis where you can really get in touch with nature and uh, feel present and centered, and then go back to your crib and deal with whatever you got to deal with. And going back to the crib, man, hanging out with the GYP. Subrock, Doom, Dimbaza, Ahmed, Otis, and maybe even getting a haircut. Here's Dimbaza to explain. So being at my house, we attracted a lot of people who knew that we can play records freely. Again, homeboys like Dre and Rob, you know, they go back to, you know, 83, 84, before we started really going hard with the music. They'd be in front of our house on BMX bikes with us. They were breaking with us, you know, and then they just, they just kept doing everything with us. You know, we're doing the BMX thing. That's 87. By 88, again, just one year later, 
you know, we're not riding bikes as much anymore. Not a lot of guys are doing that with us. We got a small biking crew, a couple of guys on skateboards. You know, we weren't doing that that hard anymore. We got equipment now by 88. They're working on samples and putting stuff together. So it attracted people. My brothers came up with an idea because uh, Sub's little side hustle was to cut here. And he's cutting here now. So he's another barber in the neighborhood. They figured out a way where, you know what, heck, I'll, I'll take some records for this haircut. It's whatever. Haircuts have an intrinsic value. One of my favorite memories of being at that house on Hudson Street was the day that Subrock decided to give me a high top fade. We were all in the basement. It was a Friday night and we were all getting our cuts. And typically Subrock would really clean up my Jufro. I had these really kinky curls and I was Jewish and well, you get it. And all of a sudden he just said, you know, search, you probably could have a high top fade. And the whole GYP like looked around, they were like, no, you think? And he started edging me up and he started edging me up and then he started cleaning up the sides and he had the comb on the top. And when he finished it, everybody in the GYP was like, oh shit, that's crazy. Because I didn't need any hairspray, it just was there. And when they showed me the mirror, I looked at the time and I recognized that I had enough time to get to the land quarter. So I hopped on the Long Island Railroad. I jumped out at Penn Station. I boogied to 48th Street. I got to the land quarter. I saw Paradise at the front. He looked at me like, oh shit. Yo, search that, yo, that's fresh. You got a, you got a hot top, that's fresh. And this girl who was standing next to him just said to me, Oh, yo, can I touch your hair? You got a hot top. I never seen a white boy with a hot top. Can I touch your hair? And I was like, can I touch your hair, sister? Am I allowed to touch your hair, sister? And I started laughing because, you know, women, especially women of color, are real sensitive about, you know, especially white women would always walk up to them and go, oh, your hair is so blank. Your hair is so whatever. Can I touch it? And sisters, they don't want nobody touching their hair. So I was like, can I touch your hair? And uh, I was like, yeah, you could touch it, it's fine. Cause I was gonna then try to kick it to her. But I remember just Subrock then got really creative and then cut the third base in my head. And then when, you know, we did the video for Peach Fuzz, he put the KMD in the back of my head. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The guys loved it. People who 
needed a haircut they loved that barter system it was like you get fresh for like almost nothing really just take your mom or pop's records who at that time parents were ignoring their old disco collections and their collections that go even further back than that it didn't it didn't turn out to be um any collect collective value to that kind of stuff so they were kind of willing to either part with it allow it to turn up missing or they didn't know what to do with it it, it was just clutter so that system worked we ended up getting a lot of records and the way my my friend describes it my best buddy lou he describes getting together at my house as a freedom where they can't go through their entire parents collection listening to the beginning of it the middle of it and the end for like breaks when we would do that at the house they loved it they were just like flies in the wall watching us check through the collection that they just bought some people stayed after their haircut we're, all we're doing is checking for loops. You know how that go, crate digging. It's just, you be in the zone for a beginning, middle, end, beginning, middle, end. Oh, mark this record. It was like a, a library being at my house or something. But my mom was very uh, tolerant of my friends. She never made them feel like, all right, this, this is some kind of limit here. You could almost get kicked out for this. I might come and tell you to go home for that. She never did that. That made it very comfortable for my friends to come over and just feel like, all right, I'm going to come here and just do what I do, which is probably just sit around and watch uh, the process. Watch them check records, watch them b-boy, bring them records, you know. It was something about my house, and again, I do, I do credit my mom for this, that made it this comfortable environment that you could escape to, even if we just all we played was checkers. But we didn't just play checkers there. We, were, we had turntables. Onyx, the birthstone kid, hot. So it's nothing to pass down this block and see my brothers Doom and Dinga always on their porch with a couple other friends from the Get Yours crew on skateboards, doing graffiti, coming back from runs, grabbing comic books, you know, just into the, the culture of hip hop. So a lot of us in Long Beach, we came from different crews, right? Everybody had their own hip hop crew, you know, the breakdancing crew. And that was pretty much the formation of GYP because Sub Rock was a barber. And when you're a barber, you're getting all types of different guests and company, everybody from all over the neighborhood is coming into your home. So he was a unifier by his skill, but his mindset and his heart was such that, you know, barbers or contact professions, they have an ability to be able to provide therapy. They're good ears, they listen to you. So that's Sub Rock was the glue, he was the gel. You know, Doom as an older brother, he was always in the other room, studying, reading books, watching documentaries, you know, always up to his craft. You'll see him staring off into the sky sometimes, just, you know, thinking about his aspirations to his plans. Ahmed took me to his block. We would hang out at his house, you know, and uh, Ahmed then let, introduced me to his best friend Otis. And then that kind of introduced me to everyone uh, from Long Beach. We would hang together, we would go to the beach together, we would flirt with girls together, we would rhyme together, we would um, just hang out all the time for long, long stretches of time. Like it was literally sun up to sundown to the wee hours of the morning. I would ride my bike home and then be back the first thing uh, in the morning uh, because I liked the way I felt being around them and I liked the way that we were kind of connected as a crew, including going to, you know, jams at the MLK Center, 
watching, you know, Cudmaster DC, watching Reggie Reg in the Playboy Club, um, you know, just, and, and also watching the DJs from, you know, our neighborhood, you know, be in those different park jams. And because I had a record out and because I was already on, you know, the radio on the weekends with not only, you know, Chuck Chill Out and Red Alert, but, you know, Van DC and Bill Blass and the Awesome Two and also Spectrum City, you know, I had a bit of a name. Um, so I felt like somebody and we would go to these park jams. And um, even though they were like four years younger than me, they didn't seem to be four years younger than me. I always felt like Daniel was like my partner, like he was my equal. He was very much ingrained in the Ansar law community. He's very much invested in his growth and understanding of the teachings of Malachi York and that community, uh, self-reliance, wearing the flag. You know, that was just our whole crew. And we deemed our crew the Get Yours Posse, you know, GYP. And that really came from this idea that if I was going to get mine, you had to get yours. We're going to do this together. You know, if I'm going to get mine, you're going to get yours. And I started telling them about, you know, me making this record, me being signed to Rush Management. You know, I told them like, look, you know, when I get on, you get on. Good afternoon, Long Beach. Good afternoon, Long Beach. My name is Patrick Graham, and I was born and raised here in this town. So it gives me a great pleasure and honor to be back here in a place that meant so much to me and means so much to all of you. The city of Long Beach got something right by ensuring that his legacy on the soil in which he developed his talent is one where he'll never be forgotten. I thank you for that. Make sure you join us for episode two, where we talk about the evolution of GYP, the Get Yours Posse, and how the name KMD was formed. Plus, we're going to tell you a little bit about how the group members got to know each other. Thank you for joining us for episode one of Did I Ever Tell You the One About MF Doom? MF Doom. MF Doom. MF Doom. MF Doom. MF Doom. Did I Ever Tell You the One About MF Doom podcast is a timeless podcast company production. Executive produced by Chantel Barron, Michael Barron, and Eric DJ Eclipse Wynn. Co-produced and mixed by Brett Epic Mazer. Sound design and sound editing by Nick Digler Davila. Research director, Miles J. Barron. Senior creative director, Martin Orton for Poison Pen Graphics. Graphic design director, Shai Harari for H1 Media. Featuring Ben Klingon, Dell of the Hieroglyphics Crew, Dimbaza Dumale, Dinko D of Leaders of the New School, Graham Poopa Maxwell, Jason DeMarco, Just Blaze, Curious George, Cotty, Lionel the Vid Kid Martin, Lord Jamal, Lord Seer, Miles Brown, MF Grimm, Milo from Leaders of the New School, Onyx the Birthstone Kid of KMD, Prince Power Rule, Ralph McDaniels, Talib Kwali, Tanji Dumale, Tom Brown, Wildchild, Yasin Bey, and Young Guru. 
Special thanks to the city of Long Beach, Mark Healy in the Rockaway Wave, Far Rockaway Queens, New York, Brandon G, Tom Wheelie, Ben King, Stephen S. Sidman, and Video Music Box. Timeless podcast sound design voiceover, Tembisa Mashaka. Music cues and scoring for this podcast have been provided by Portal. That's P-R-T-L. Music comes in all vibes, so lo-fi should too. Welcome to Portal, the world's first lo-fi music in all genres for all types of music fans. Whether you love hip-hop, reggaeton, country, alt-rock, EDM, or even bassa, Portal has lo-fi vibes to match your music tastes. Find Portal on YouTube or Spotify or anywhere you listen to lo-fi. Portal, P-R-T-L, lo-fi for every vibe.